everybody, welcome to the Export Iron Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka somebody who I'm very interested to get your thoughts on WrestleMania weekend. I thought it was good. Like, in my opinion, like if I were to give it a grade, I probably would give it an A. Because the only things that I didn't like about it were like, kind of like the random filler matches. Right. Uh, like the the women's tag team showcase, I was like, okay. The Pat, Mc, the Pat McCaffrey and the Miz stuff, I was like, this just this kind of cool just to have him there. But I was like, I really really didn't need that. Uh, the Shane Miz stuff did turn into Snoop Dogg saving the whole bit because Shane actually got hurt. Mm-hmm. I thought it was cool from the aspect of like seeing Snoop do something, but I was like, yeah, I didn't need this. Uh, it was another match that I was like, we really didn't need. Uh, I kind of liked the Omos and Brock Lesnar match, but I also was kind of like, I don't need this. I so, need yeah. Yeah, I mean, this was a pretty good WrestleMania. I'm sure you probably heard, but if you haven't, it seems like Vince is back in control of creative, or at least he was for this past episode of Raw, so that sucked. But Mania was cool. Um, I Overall, I gave it a B. You can listen to my full recap um, on the export.net, rpexport.net, because that's where you can find all that. But yeah, I thought overall it was a B. Um, I know when we were talking about it before the show, you were saying that the IC triple threat was your favorite match. After seeing Roman versus Cody, did that change your mind? Or is the... No. Uh, okay, the IC... Yeah. I love that it's, match. It's so, like, my top five, IC triple threat, Roman and Cody, um, Hell in a Cell, and then um, Rhea and Charlotte and Bianca and Oscar, and then... I like the Seth Rollins and uh Logan Paul match, mm-hmm. but I just felt like the other the others that were before just were like better. Yeah, I agree. I mean, because the thing is, the Seth and Logan Paul match was pretty good, but I found myself talking about other matches more. And I think when you get Seth Rollins and Logan Paul in the ring, like of course it's gonna be good, but it's like I don't know. It didn't have like the shock factor that some other matches had. And I think that yeah. played a role in it. Also, to the, I still don't know who KSI is, but apparently, like, people was marking out when it, they real revealed it was him. Honestly, I have no clue who that brother is. But he had a cool WrestleMania moment, so that's all that matters. So, I think who he is is he's, first off, he's a YouTuber. But he's one of those, like, YouTubers that got caught up in their YouTuber turned boxer way. Oh. And I think... Logan, either Logan Paul or Jake Paul knocked him out in like their first fight. I can't Ooh. remember which one. I didn't know that. Uh, cause I, I hadn't seen any of Logan's or Jake Paul's boxing matches. I know that they won. I know. I think it was Jake who just lost one, but before that, I don't think either of them had lost a match. One of them also was in the ring with Floyd Mayweather. I think that was Logan. Yeah. I don't remember. Who cares? But yeah, uh, WrestleMania weekend was really fun. Uh, my favorite match, y'all who listen, night one was uh, Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte. Honestly, that was my favorite match of the entire weekend. And night two, it was very close between the IC Championship and uh, Bianca versus Oscar. But it was a really, really good card overall. But like I said, you can find myself and. My good buddy, Embryo, a.k.a. Chris Waters. Full thoughts on WrestleMania 39 
at theexpert.net. You can check out that full recap. But over here, we're talking NFL and NBA, starting off with predicting the futures of some of the biggest question marks around the league from OBJ, DeAndre Hopkins, Lamar Jackson. We're going to try to figure out where they will be um, as the offseason winds on. Also, we're going to talk the latest drama in New England's surrounding quarterback, Mac Jones, and whether or not he will be the Patriots' week one starter. And then with the NBA, we are going to give our final NBA prediction saying who we think makes it in the play-in and eventually makes it in those last couple of playoff spots. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out the xreport.net. I repeat the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So we're going to start this show off like we do most with our college football player spotlight. And I sent this to you over Instagram a few days ago, but I mean, I think it bears a conversation. But Georgia defensive tackle Jalen Carter uh, is agent, I can't even talk, has announced that he will not be visiting any teams that are picking outside of the top 10. Early this week, he visited with the Bears, and then later on, he was going to have a second visit with the Eagles. Um, Drew Rosenhaus, his agent, said, I'm confident Jalen will go in the top 10. He's a good person, a family man, loves football, and is a generational talent. You and I both agreed that we don't think that this was the right move, especially because you never know really what could happen. But do you think that, as of right now, do you think that Jalen Carter is still a lock to go top 10, which is why he's making this decision? I think I think he is simply because of, we. I hate to say it this way, but when you're dealing with professional athletes or college athletes, collegiate athletes going to the pros, and you have like a blemish on your record, it's kind of, unless it's like something complete, in which the case in which he did is completely egregious, but people look at it from a different standpoint. I think you have teams that are willing to still take chances on guys knowing that they have a, knowing that they might have like a bit of a sketchy background. Um, I can, I definitely can still see him being in the top 10. Like me and you have mentioned several times, like Seattle, they're a team that they don't necessarily, even though a lot of people are saying like they might be in the quarterback market, but they don't necessarily need a quarterback right now. Like Geno Smith is there, shown to be their guy at least for the next three years. They could potentially draft Jalen Carter, pair him up with um, OG Bobby coming back, um, Jordan Brooks and Jamal Adams, and they could potentially have a dominant defense again out of nowhere. That's where I really think he's going to end up. And if he doesn't go to Seattle, that's when I think he might not go into the top 10. It's weird because, like, even though I think, of course, what he got in trouble for, even though, like, he didn't end up going to jail and charges have been dealt with, it's still, like, a scary thing to think about because, unfortunately, somebody died as a result of not totally his actions, but he did participate in the activity that led to the death of two people, which is tragic. And then it doesn't help matters that he did have a bad pro day. He looked overweight and he didn't look like the explosive player that he was during his time at Georgia. However, talent heals all. And so like you mentioned, I could see Seattle being a good fit. I previously mentioned in a mock, I could see the Raiders making that move because they need help along their interior D line. The Bears are another team that could really use them. And Philly, I mean, I think that if 
we get the Jalen Carter that we saw in college and we continue to see the development of Jordan Davis, Philly's defensive line is going to be great for a very long time. But so I under I could absolutely see him going in the top 10. I think there's plenty of teams that could use him. And also the Lions are another one. It's just I'll just say it like this. It's kind of like I'm sure you've heard the prime story where he talks about how I don't remember what team it was. It might have been the Giants who when he went to go on a visit, they had him they wanted him to take this real long test. And he was like, "When do y'all pick?" And they told him, he was like, "Oh, I'm going to be off the board before then." Now, looking back, it's like, yeah, Prime is one of the greatest to ever played. The position is fine, but what if Prime wasn't that guy? What if the attitudes that he had back then affected him in the free agent market or if he it didn't work out with the team he got drafted by? And so that's kind of how I'm looking at Jalen Carter because teams could be really put off by your you not wanting to visit them right now. So what? who's to say your career is going to go perfectly and it's going to work out because – I think teams do hold grudges, and if you feel like you're better than them or you are at a higher scene than them, that could come back to bite you. So that's the only thing I'm kind of worried about with that, but like you, I still think he ends up going to the top 10. But all right, let's talk about some players that are already in the league, starting off with Mac Jones. As it's been reported, kind of conflicting reports, but at the end of the day, it seems that the New England Patriots have been shopping around their former first-round pick, um, even telling some teams that, hey, he could be had. Even um, Bill Belichick at the owners' meeting, when asked about his committal to Mac Jones at 23, he said, everybody will get a chance to play, will play the best players. Interesting comments, especially with regards to the quarterback position. So let's just say, for the sake of conversation, Mac Jones actually does get traded or teams are interested in trading for him. What team do you think would be the best fit? Mm, the team that I think would be the best fit for Mac Jones is hard because the team that I'm about to say, I think might not actually need a quarterback, but I would say the 49ers um, because I obviously think that Brock Purdy is their guy. But, and we also know, we don't know what they're going to do with Trey Lance. And that's a situation to where, yes, I know Matt was a high draft pick. He hasn't had the greatest career. He had flashes his rookie season. But who's to say that Brock Purdy might have been a splash in the pan just because he didn't have tape? And then his upcoming season, he, um, he comes down to earth. And then you look and you is it like, do you want to go back to this Trey Young? I mean, Trey Lance experiment that hasn't really shown fruit. Or you could potentially bring in Matt Jones, a guy that the 49ers originally were looking at when they took Trey Lance. And you could kind of bring him in and maybe have, still have the quarterback of your future. Because offensively, the 49ers are loaded. Like, they have Debo. They have Brandon Ayuk. They have George Kittle. They have Christian McCaffrey. And you can bring in Mac Jones and, like, slowly integrate him into their offense and still be productive. Yeah, I feel you. Um, I'm going to say the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I know that they just signed um, – what's the name? Baker Mayfield to a one-year deal. They have Kyle Trask in tow. 
but I think it's kind of similar to like I'm not comparing him to Tom Brady, but it's very different offenses that Mac Jones will be able to work with. In Tom Brady's last few years in New England, he didn't have many weapons. It wasn't much firepower. Even with the interesting offseason that the Bucks have had, I mean, Mac Jones is going to have weapons around him. Rashad White is going to be entering his second year at running back, and they could possibly add another running back via the draft. You still have Mike Evans, um, Chris Godwin, Russell Gage, really talented wideouts to get the ball to, and then their defense isn't terrible and so I think that with Mac Jones like I said it'd be another case of he'd be surrounded by really good players and he'd be a cheap option which the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers really need right now because they still are in pretty much cap hell all right so typically when you hear quarterback well, first name that comes up is Lamar Jackson while it is very interesting how many teams have expressed their disinterest in the former MVP some people are thinking maybe Lamar could be a good fit in New England. However, former uh, Pro Bowl cornerback Asante Samuel essentially sent a word of warning to the QB saying, uh, Lamar Jackson, my brother, trust me, you don't want to play for Bill Belichick. Matthew Judon, former Baltimore Raven and current outside linebacker for the Patriots said, responded with hush up, it's different over here. But Asante said, no, it's not. You were just a little brainwashed right now. We've, you and I have already talked about uh, Asante Samuel's comments about the Patriots and quote-unquote the Patriot way. But just looking at it from a stylistically, um, would Lamar Jackson be a good fit for the New England Patriots? I'm going to say... I'm going to say yes, I think. And the reason I, th- I would say yes is because... Bill Belichick is really great at adapting to whatever talent or whatever needs his team his team has. Like, if you had a traditional drop-back passer, I think he can make it work. If you have a guy that is mobile, I think he can make it work. I also know that Lamar, like, his strengths are hitting the middle of the field with tight ends and, and throwing in short to intermediate routes. The receivers and the tight end that the Patriots have, they kind of play to those streams. Like, they don't really have those deep vertical threat guys. I think it could work. Would I personally want to see it? Absolutely not, because I'm a Lamar Jackson fan, and I despise the New England Patriots. But do I think it could actually work? Yes, because Bill, like, regardless of how I feel about Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots, I can I can respect him as the greatest coach in football. Um, and yes, he's had a couple of down years. But even you think about the year that they had Mac Jones, his rookie year, Bill Belichick made it work. I think the thing that didn't make it work last season is because you didn't really have an offensive coordinator, and like that that's going to be a major piece that you have to get corrected. But I think it could work. I don't think so. I think. Right now, people are questioning Baltimore for having a lack of weapons around Lamar. I don't think that the skill position players in New England are much better. I don't actually even phrase it. I don't think they're better at all. I like Ramondre Stevenson, but it's really just him in that running back room, especially because Damian Harris is gone in Buffalo. I would take J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards. Um, Tight end, obviously I'm taking Mark Andrews over – What's his name? Uh, Hunter Henry. And then they don't have John New Smith anymore. They traded him to Atlanta. At receiver, honestly, it's about even. But I would still take Rashad Bateman over what the Patriots have. I would take – 
because right now the number one receiver is Juju Smith-Schuster. And Juju, as we know, since his last few years in Pittsburgh, really hasn't been that guy. He's been fine, but, I mean, you know. And Jacoby Myers is gone, so I don't really trust that receiving core. And mind you, people are saying this about Baltimore, and the offense is tailor-made for Lamar. I get that Bill Bill Belichick is adaptable in a sense of his defense. Defensively, he will do whatever he can to shut an opponent down, stop them for what they do best. Offensively, they've practically run the same system for the past 20-plus years, pretty much having a statuette quarterback who gets the ball out quick, and there you go. They really haven't had too many superstars on the outside, outside of a guy like Randy Moss. And so you bring in Lamar Jackson, who is the total opposite of Mac Jones, who's much more mobile, like you said, hits the middle of the field more, much more athletic. I just have a hard time believing that they're going to completely change their offense to accommodate him, especially considering you're going to have to give up multiple draft picks. You're going to have to um, bring in people, players who fit what he does best. You need to get better weapons. And so I don't, I don't think it would work. And if you expect a guy like Lamar Jackson to kind of just play in the same Patriots offense that they've had for years, I don't think he's going to be as successful. And so I I just – I don't think that's a pairing that would make much sense. But I, I think they're one of those teams where, of course, quarterbacks – not saying every quarterback has to be able to run like Lamar, have that athleticism, but – they can make it work with a quarterback who may not be the most mobile but can kind of move around if need be. Kind of like an Aaron Rodgers type person who, like, it's never going to be their first option to run, but they have an opportunity, they'll do it. I don't expect them to change their offense to be the 60-40 run, but that's just me. So, all right, let's fast forward a few months in advance. Let's say it's September, week one of the NFL season. Will Mac Jones be quarterback one for the Patriots? I'm going to say no. Um, Bill Belichick is a guy we've seen it several times. When he don't want you, he going to find a way to get rid of you. Uh, case in point, Jamie Collins is a big, is a more more notable one. Um, I think Rob Nikovich is another one. Like when he's ready to move on to you for whatever reason, I yeah, I think it. I think he's going to be gone. Who you think is going to be? That's tough because I don't. I might end up being Temple, honestly. That I really think because it's not that many quarterback needy teams. I think the teams that are quarterback needy, one of them is in their division. They're going for a big fish. I think the Lamar situation is interesting, but I think Temple is the team where it's like, hey, he kind of fits the similar style of what they used to have in Brady, and he's younger, so they could potentially build for the future. And I don't think you got to give up a lot to get Matt Jones. I don't think so either. The only reason why I'm going to side with yes is because, like you said, I mean, most of the teams that need quarterbacks are picking ahead of them. And maybe, like, Tampa is a realistic option, I think. And, again, you wouldn't have to cough up much. But it's like if you're the Patriots – what are you going to do at quarterback? Like, unless you do try to swing big for a Lamar or maybe do a trade for Kyle Trask or thug it out with Bailey Zappi for a season, it's just like – because right now I believe they have the 14th overall pick. 
unless they plan on trading up in the draft to get somebody, which I think they'd have to move all the way up to three to do it, I just don't see it happening. So for lack of better options than Mac Jones at this very moment, I don't think that they're going to be the ones to do it. But let's go ahead and move on to predicting some futures, bringing out our crystal ball. So wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins, one of the best receivers of this generation. His name has been brought up in trade conversations a lot over the past few months. However, a trade has not matriculated as of yet. Uh, reportedly from Albert Breer, NFL teams think the Cardinals will release DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, since the team has initially was asking teams for a second round pick and then some in exchange for D-Hop. However, no team has shown any interest in meeting the Cardinals asking price. Due to the lack of interest, some teams believe he will ultimately be be released so when it comes to deandre hawkins do you think he will a end up getting traded b end up being released or c stay with the cardinals this season i think he's gonna end up being released um i think it's just one of those things where it's like i think his time in arizona is up there's no point in continuing there's no point there's really no point in keeping him this season for one kyle america's hurt and he, we don't know when he's actually going to be back. Um, he might miss a big chunk of the season. So if you're not able to get what you want from him, just, just cut ties. I think he ends up getting traded, but obviously it's not going to be for as much as they want. Because I love D-Hop, but I'm not giving a two-plus for him. That's not happening. And I don't uh, clearly no other team is willing to do that too. And I think that you could get a cool three, maybe a conditional four, for D Hop, and you can make that work. The main reason why I don't think he ends up getting cut is because if he is cut, he's going to count 22 mil against the cap in dead money. And if you're the Cardinals and you are really haven't been able to make many moves because of your cap situation, that's just one thing that's going to make it even harder. So I think he ends up getting traded, but just for much less than they want. Uh, keeping things at wide receiver, Odell Beckham Jr. is another guy who remains on the market. It's been reported that the Baltimore Ravens have extended an offer to OBJ. Um, and it seems that the Jets are also in play, as well as possibly the Rams, who do have some interest. Um, still, it remains to be seen what's going to happen with OBJ. Reportedly, it seems like he's waiting to see what happens with Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. But in the case of OBJ, does he, do you think he, A, signs with Baltimore, B, signs with the Jets, uh, does he be C, signs with the Rams, or D, another team swoops in? I'm going to say either B, sign with the Jets, or D, sign with another team. I think if Aaron Rodgers goes to the Jets, he's going to sign with the Jets because I just think that they feel like with Aaron Rodgers and the weapons and him, they're going to make it far in the playoffs. I don't agree with it, but I think that that's what their mind is. And I think that if Aaron Rodgers doesn't go to the Jets, if he goes to another team, I can see Odell Beckham potentially trying to go wherever he goes. Or if he retires, then he'll just go to whatever team probably offers him the most money. Yeah, I agree. I don't think Baltimore is going to happen, mainly because ain't no telling what's going on with the quarterback situation. If you're a wide receiver, you don't want to go somewhere. You don't know who's going to be throwing you the ball. And so I think I totally agree. If Aaron goes to the Jets, I think he goes to the Jets. But then that creates an interesting conundrum of who are their, who are their top three wide receivers? Because, mind you, right now on the roster, 
It, so let's, for the sake of conversation, let's say OBJ signs. They have OBJ, Garrett Wilson, Miko Hardman, Corey Davis, and Alan Lazard, who they just signed. So who would be their top three, in your opinion? Um, for the um, Chiefs? Jets. For the Jets. What was the question? Who would be the top three out of OBJ? It'd be OB. So their receivers on the roster, if OBJ signed, OBJ, Alan Lazard, Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis, and Miko Hardman. I'm still going to say Garrett Wilson. It's either, in my opinion, it would either be Garrett Wilson or Alan Lazard. I think, I'll say this, I doubt Odell would sign somewhere where he wouldn't be at least the third receiver. So that would be interesting. I think I've had many conversations about this. I think Garrett Wilson, I think the three would be Garrett Wilson, Odell, and Alan Lazard with Corey Davis end up getting traded. But it's like, I, I think that Garrett Wilson is going to have a severe dip in targets. I think he's still going to have like a good year numbers wise, but he's going to lose a lot of targets because now there's more people to throw the ball to. And, oh, as we know, Aaron has his favorites and he's going to make sure that they eat. And that could kind of cause Garrett Wilson to slip a little bit. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to the West Coast, talking to Los Angeles Chargers and running back Austin Eckler. In a recent interview, he discussed the lack of motion in terms of a contract extension. And he said, I kind of got punched in the face when the Chargers basically said, we don't want to talk about extensions anymore. And he added, worst case scenario, I'll have to play for the Chargers for a year and bet on myself. However, there's still a lot of time before the season starts. So what will be the future of Austin Eckler? He signs a long-term deal with the Chargers, he's traded before the season or just has to bet on himself in 2023? Bet on himself. And honestly, that's the nature of the position that he plays. Um, no, NFL teams aren't ready to sign running, aren't ready to sign running backs in long-term deals anymore. You might have, you have certain anomalies like the Cowboys kind of did it with Zeke, but now look where they are where he isn't on the team anymore. He wasn't as product, nearly as productive as he's been in years past. The Titans have done it with Derrick Henry, but we also know that the Titans have been willing to shop Derrick Henry this offseason. They just haven't found any suitors. Um, and he's slowly been declining these past couple of years, especially this past season. So with those things in tow, and you see, like, unless it's a team that has a unless it, in my opinion unless it's a team like the Cowboys that have a back that they're willing to split carries with I don't think he gets a long-term deal anywhere I think he's just gonna have to bet on himself and he's gonna have to settle for a shorter two or three year deal with a decent amount of guaranteed money yeah we're in agreement I also think he's gonna have to bet on himself but you know the Chargers are gonna run that man into the ground if this if this the last year I'm having with you, I'm going to run you ragged. And they've already been doing that, especially with the injuries they've had at wide receiver. But I kind of feel for Austin Eckler because I do think he does fall under the radar because, I mean, he is literally a touchdown machine. He's great. He's just not the prototypical running back out there. And as we've seen, those prototypical running backs aren't getting those long-term extensions. Most recently, Saquon Barkley had to get franchise tagged because the Giants weren't willing to meet his asking price. And Saquon is also betting on himself this year. and He could be screwed. If he messes around and has a year where he ends up getting hurt again, it's going to be really rough. So it's tough out here for running backs, but I think Austin Eckler has a big year before moving on somewhere else. 
All right, last but certainly not least, Lamar Jackson. Last week, he announced that he had requested a trade from the Baltimore Ravens back on March 2nd, though there were still some ramblings of contract negotiations taking place. As we all know, no deal has been done as of yet. But even weirder still is that teams continue to express their disinterest in him. For example, Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons, said, there's no question Lamar Jackson is one of the top quarterbacks in the league. Looking at it objectively, there is some concern about whether or not he can play his style of game for how long that can last. Hopefully a long time, but he missed five, six games each of the last two years. I get where he's coming from, but you're the Falcons. You've been terrible at quarterback. You sound like a hypocrite. Ron Rivera, head coach of the Washington Commanders, also echoed those sentiments and said, we never looked into signing Lamar. We didn't feel it suited what we wanted to do. I know he's a tremendous talent. I know he's a player that can impact your team. I just didn't think that was the direction for us as a team. Very interesting statements considering these are two teams that have been desperately looking for upgraded quarterback. But with this current conversation around Lamar, what do you think is more likely? He ends up being traded before or on draft day, signs a Baltimore with the ball, signs an extension with Baltimore, or he ends up playing 2023 on the tag. I have a strong feeling that Lamar is going to be traded on draft day. Um, I think you're going to see teams that have high picks that are quarterback needy because it's typically it's looking like the most quarterback needy teams all have like a top five pick. Um, and I think you might see a case where a guy that one of these quarterback te- quarterback needy teams likes gets taken up and they don't really want to go for one of the guys that's left and they're going to make their move to get Lamar. That's just what I feel. I'm I'm also on the firm belief that I'm more likely going to be wrong in that feeling, but that's just kind of what my gut is telling me. I'll say it like this. I The Panthers aren't going to do it, and so that knocks out them. I highly doubt the Texans are going to do it, but stranger things have happened. Arizona doesn't need a quarterback, and I could see them trading out and somebody trading up. So I think in terms of a draft day trade, probably the likeliest option is the Indianapolis Colts, which it's great for them because they're getting a really good quarterback, but their offense is not good. I love Jonathan Taylor, but it can't just be Jonathan Taylor and Lamar. That was pretty much the case in Baltimore. You got to put more around them. But I think it'd still be an upgrade over who you would get possibly at four. And so I could – it's weird because I watched the Ravens uh, – pre-draft luncheon earlier today and they didn't want to talk about Lamar which is fair and it's like they didn't deny that they'd be looking at a quarterback so it's weird I as of this moment I think he ends up playing on the tag but I could I'll say this I could see a draft day trade happening before an extension happening I think the door has practically closed on that I would be shocked if, if oh yeah what's up so, you just talked about the Indianapolis Colts. Why are they trying to send this dream like Michael Pittman Jr. is really like a good wide receiver? That's a great question. Um, let's because I'm trying like the Colts are a team that have had a history of having good wideouts. I mean, you get the Marvin Johnson. I mean, Marvin Harrison. I'm so sorry, Marvin Harrison's the Reggie Waynes. You know, you get guys like that, and so you kind of set a standard. 
And I mean, T.Y. Hilton was very good for a very long time, but he has he was never on that level. Michael Pittman has shown flashes, but I would never say he's been as good as T.Y. was. So maybe they're trying to blame it on the quarterbacks around them, but I don't know. I don't know. And the saddest thing is for looking at the division right now, Michael Pittman's probably still a top three wide out in the AFC South. That's the only conference that he would be ranked that high. Cause I mean, I would obviously go Calvin Ridley ahead of him and I would go Christian Kirk ahead of him right now. I don't see anybody the Texans have that are better than him. And I don't think that Traylon Burks is better than him. So by comp- comparison in the division, he's not terrible. But in general, he's really not that guy. It's weird. But, hey, he's the best that the Colts have right now. So, I guess you got to thug it out with what you got. But, yeah. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our game of believable or buffoonery. There have been a lot of rumblings around the Arizona Cardinals with regards to the character and the leadership or lack thereof of Kyler Murray. They received some of the worst marks in the NFLPA team report cards. And then most recently, their owner, Michael Bidwell, uh, has been accused of allegedly cheating, discrimination, and harassment of his staff. Uh, Adam Schefter added that Bidwell is accused of bullying treatment towards pregnant women and have created an environment of fear for minority employees. Not what you want to hear about any owner, but especially one of a team that is already seemingly drowning. So believable or buffoonery, the Cardinals are becoming a quote-unquote toxic franchise. Uh, to answer the question, yes. A side tangent. Bro, what's up with Fate? What's up with Tangents and Phoenix? Nah, for real, because <laughs> the Suns owner was wild. <laughs> the, the Suns owner's crazy. The Cardinals owner is crazy. Oh, like maybe it's the the desert. Maybe it's the lack of you know precipitation uh, and being out there in the heat all the time. I have no clue. The thing's crazy, but no, I definitely think that they're. Um, what's the term that people like to say? They're a dumpster fire. Yes. Uh, I just said like they're a dumpster fire. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm also in agreement. I think it's believable that they are a toxic. Like it's bad enough when the person that you drafted first overall, who's supposed to be the face of your franchise on a routine basis, is being called out for not being a good leader. You haven't had much success on the field. Last season, I think they had, what, one home win, which is insane. And now your owner's in a whole bunch of BS. Like, yeah, it's not looking good in Arizona, which is unsurprising. Uh, Which I'm sorry, which makes it unsurprising that free agents really haven't tried to go. Like, I mean, probably the biggest person that they brought in was Zach Paschal, who's the number three wide out in Philly last year. It has not been pretty. All right, let's go ahead and move on to a team that is not toxic but have not had the playoff success that they want, and that is the Buffalo Bills. While everyone knows that Josh Allen is a terrific quarterback, former Hall of Fame quarterback for the Bills, Jim Kelly had this to say about the team. Josh can't do everything by himself, and I hope that they find a way to get a star running back. 
Many people believe that if they were able to diversify their offense and get some versatility there, maybe the Bills can be Super Bowl contenders. So believable or buffoonery. The Buffalo Bills are star running back away from the Super Bowl. I'm going to say believable. Um, because Granted, I think Gabe Davis is a hit or miss option as a wide receiver too. But I think you pair Josh Allen, who we both had our gripes about in the past, but you pair that with Stephon Diggs. You do give him some consistency with Dawson Knox, a wide receiver. Um, I think offensively, I would say yes. The big question for me now would be defensively because they lost Tremaine Evans in free agency. Granted, they do have their um, their safety duo still intact, but Tremaine Evans, losing him at linebacker is a big piece in my opinion. I'm going to say buffoonery mainly because – let, let's be honest. How many teams that have, quote-unquote, star running backs have had a lot of success with them? Like, I think that the Bills are a team that are good. But right now, I'm kind of more worried about Gabe Davis and their wide receiver depth more than I am at running back. I think that Damian Harris is solid enough, and I think that James Cook has potential. I think more than anything, they need to start giving the running backs the ball more because they still have a very big disproportion between passing plays and running plays. And the thing is, more times than not, when they are running the ball, it's Josh Allen that's doing it. I get it. He's big. He can move. But as he gets older, his body's not going to keep being able to take that punishment. So I think they need to be more balanced in terms of their offense. But I do agree. Their defense, I think, is also cause for concern because we saw it last game um, when they lost to the Bengals. They could do nothing. Like, even Tremaine Edmonds, I think that is going to be an interesting – loss in terms of who they're going to try to replace him with, but their defense could not stop the run. We saw their secondary get hemmed up. Like, it was... I don't think bringing the star running back quells those issues. I think it helps them out, but I don't think it immediately puts them in the Super Bowl, because right now I still would put the Chiefs and Bengals ahead of them. But alright, let's go ahead and move on to another team that is trying to get into that playoff conversation, and that is the Cleveland Browns. Recently at an um, autograph signing, wide receiver Tyreek Hill, former Chief, current Dolphin, uh, saw somebody in a Deshaun Watson jersey ill and told them, they should have paid me, bro. I tried to go to Cleveland. First, again, ill, but believable or buffoonery. Had uh, the Cleveland Browns gotten Tyreek Hill, would they have the best offense in the league? So, friendly reminder, quarterback Deshaun Watson, running back Nick Chubb, wide receivers. For the sake of this conversation, I'll say Amari Cooper is still there. They have Amari Cooper and Tyreek Hill. Are they the ball? Believable or buffoon, they have the best offense in the league? I'm going buffoon. No. For one, this is the same Deshaun Watson that looks like crap when he stepped back on the field. This is the same Deshaun Watson that would have basically missed the whole year because he did horrific things. So, no. It would have been interesting to see, um, but I def- I would not say they would have had the best offense because, in my opinion, even with Deshaun Watson being the Deshaun Watson of old, I'm still taking the team that has Patrick Mahomes. I'm also still taking the team that has Joe Burrow over their offense. 
Yeah, because like you said, I mean, I still – you add Tyreek, that's nice. I still don't think they have the best offense in the division. I still think the Bengals have the better overall offense, but we'll never know. Uh, continuing on the Tyreek Hill discussion, yesterday in an interview, he said that following the conclusion of his contract with Miami, he is going to retire. Uh, the full quote is this, I'm going to finish out this contract with the Dolphins, and then I'm going to call it quits. I want to go into the business side. I want – to do so many things in my life, bro. So, believable or buffoonery, Tyreek Hill will retire following the 2025 season. I think it's believable. I think, for one, what what else does he really have to, have to accomplish? Because he has how many Super Bowls with the Chiefs? One. one. He already has his ring. Um... Honestly, he could have a very viable chance of getting another one if Tua can stay healthy this season. And, like, he's shown to be one of the most productive wide receivers during his tenure as, as being in the NFL. I can see him being like, yeah, I'm done. I want to try to pursue the, the business side and try to become an owner. I can see it happening, honestly. Completely taking out my personal feelings, about Tyreek Hill, I also think it's believable because his best attribute is his speed. And by the time that 20, I'm sorry, I said 2025, I meant 2026. By the time that season wraps up, he will be going into his 33rd birthday. And while I'm sure he'll still be productive, if he's not as fast and doesn't have that blazing speed that he has now, defenses are going to be able to slow him down. He's not going to be able to have as much production nor get as much money on his next deal. And so might as well, while you're young, start to explore different ventures. So, yeah, I think it's believable too. All right, last but not least, we got to talk the Rams. Won the Super Bowl last year, and had it not been for a trade uh, to get Matthew Stafford, they would have a top six overall pick this year. Head, I mean, owner of the Indianapolis Colts, Jim Ursay, talked about the Rams deciding to mortgage their future and questioned if they would do it again had they had the opportunity. He said there was an article recently saying the Rams mortgaged their future and now they're paying for it after they won the Super Bowl and had all that success with the draft picks not being there. To me, that's what you have to be careful about. So, believable or buffoonery, the Rams made a mistake by losing living and dying by the F them picks philosophy. Uh, I'm torn on this because the F them picks philosophy got them what they wanted, which was a Super Bowl. Um, so I feel like if you base it on, what are you basing on? If you base it on the fact of like, hey, we wanted a Super Bowl, then they didn't, they didn't, um, down this or but if you're basing it on this situation of saying hey we wanted a Super Bowl and we wanted to maybe compete for Super Bowls in the future then they definitely screwed themselves over um so I'm somewhat in the middle so I'm gonna say like maybe I don't think so I'm I, I look at it like this you play to win Super Bowls and while they did mortgage their future that is true, because right now, looking at their roster, it is a far cry from where they were two years ago when they won it. But, I mean, they got the ultimate prize out of it. They got a Super Bowl. And when you win a Super Bowl, that clears a lot of issues. So, you know, Sean McVay is going to have more job security, so is Les Snead, their GM. 
And so I think that because of that, I'm going to say buffoonery. I mean, if they did all this, they made all those big trades, spent all that money, and didn't win the Super Bowl, okay, then I would say, yeah, they played themselves. But they got a Super Bowl, a lot of it, and now they have an opportunity to kind of build themselves back up the quote-unquote more traditional way. But even even still, I mean, they're just two years away from being a, winning the Super Bowl. And even though their roster overall is, like I said, nowhere near where it was, I mean, you still have good foundational pieces, as in Cooper Cup, who's amazing. You have Matthew Stafford, who was pretty solid when he can stay healthy. Cam Akers is there, and we've seen what he's been able to do. Allen Robinson, if they don't trade him. Their offensive line is terrible, though. That's, that's a fact. But you still – and you also saw the best defensive player possibly – of this gen, not possibly of this generation, and Aaron Donald. Oh, I think Donald. I got like this. He, he is definitely like the best defensive player of this generation. Yeah, I'm sorry, I shouldn't even put it like that. Yeah, best de- defensive player of this generation. Now we're not even talking about this generation. We're like all time defensive tackle. Like Aaron Donald's the man. So I don't, I don't really think it's a mistake. Like I said, I would call it a mistake if they didn't get a Super Bowl out of it. In that case, then yeah, they played themselves. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA, starting things off with our Mamba Players of the Week. Out of the Eastern Conference, who you got? Mamba Player of the Week, hands down, got to be Joe Evan B. He just dropped a 50 ball on the Celtics. He did, but also, Michael Bridges has been balling. He's been going crazy. He has. So, I'm not going to lie to you, he has. So, my, mine is going to be Michael Bridges, but I mean – like Doc Rivers said, the MVP conversation is over. He just scored half our points talking about Joel and B. So I don't think you'd go wrong with either. All right, what about Western Mamba? Western, uh, I think I'm going to go. I'm going to go Jaren. I am too. I think Jaren Jackson has been terrific. And I know everybody was just so excited about Ja Morant coming back, and rightfully so. Ja is Ja, but. Shout out to Desmond Bain and De- Jaron Jackson for really being able to hold up the team while they were kind of going through this transitional period. So, and Jaron, I mean, he just had a great game last night. I know that the Grizzlies ended up losing, but still, I mean, Jaron is a killer. And anybody who does not think that he should be at least in the defensive player of the year conversation is delusional. All right, what about Ricky Mamba? Ricky, uh, I think I'm going to go. I really, I'm going to go Jalen Durant. He put up a dope 18-10 last night. He did have a good game. I'm going to go Jay and Ivy. Um, it seems like as the season has progressed, he started to get it more offensively. I mean, this past game, he just had a double-double. Um, I want to say he dropped 30 recently. Or maybe that was the week before. I don't remember. Either way, Jay and Ivy, like I said, has really been thriving. But a very close – yeah, he dropped 30 the game before. But a close second is also Keegan Murray, King's uh, rookie, who just broke the rookie three-point record. So, got to give him props for that as well. But, all right, let's go ahead and talk our take top three takeaways of the past week. You can start us off. Uh, top three takeaways are the Memphis Grizzlies are going to have to get – MVP level John Morant back in order to make it to make it far in the playoffs. Um, since he's come back, Ja has been really like he's been playing like complimentary basketball because of the guys when he was gone have stepped up and improved. But I think to for the Grizzlies to reach their full potential as a Western Conference team, you're going to have to get 
Top of Power's job, Top of Power's Jaren, and Top of Power's Desmond Bain. And you can actually do that because Ja, yes, he's a he's a ball. He's a, a ball-dominant point guard, but Ja likes to spread the rock around. And honestly, you can get top of, you can get peak of powers Jaren because what you do is you put Jaren in actions with Ja. So you put Jaren's in pick and rolls and pick and pops with Ja, which they've been doing more more so recently, and he's been to a really high effective um, rate. And then Dez, he's a guy that went apparently, like currently, when Ja is off the court, yes, they have ties as a backup, but Dez has been the guy that's been running the offense for the second unit. And you can let Dez get, go off and warm up playing against second-string guys. And then when you need him to make plays against first um, starters, he'll be he'll get his shots up and be in rhythm. So I think you got to, like, Ja can't sit back and be like, oh, because Jaren and Dez was – we're putting up great numbers when I was gone. Like I'm gonna have to take a stick or seat back. Like no, the Grizzlies need all three of those guys to succeed in the playoffs. Feel you on that. Uh, my number three is if I had to bet money, I would say that Emmanuel Quickly of the Knicks is the sixth man of the year. I mean, he's a guy who coming into the season really didn't get that much pop, but as the year has gone on, he's another guy who's just really started to get and has been coming on as of late. Last night, just dropped 39 against the Pacers, uh, 22. Recently dropped 40 against the Rockets, even though everybody knows they're a bad defensive team, but just coming off the bench, he provides such a big spark for this team, particularly when uh, Jalen Brunson was dealing with his injury. So, a lot of good things to say about uh, Emmanuel quickly. Uh, number two, the Dallas Mavericks might have made the biggest mistake of the trade deadline, mortgaging the mortgaging really good pieces to get Kyrie Irving. Since Kyrie Irving has been back. Since Kyrie Irving has been traded to the Mavericks, they just haven't been producing. And you also think about it from this sense, they haven't been producing wins, and they haven't really confirmed if Kyrie Irving is going to stay long-term in Dallas. So that could potentially be a lose-lose because now you might not make the playoffs or the play-in, and Kyrie can just bounce and go to whatever team he chooses at the end of this season. It's funny how you mentioned the Mavs because the Mavs were also my number two. I was going to say, even if the Mavericks managed to sneak into the play-in, I don't view them as a major threat. No disrespect to Kyrie. He had, what, 16 in the fourth quarter last night against the Kings? Was it 16 or 19? I think so. Either way, he had to go crazy in order for them to win that game. And even right now, they're still hanging on to their playoff hopes by a thread. While I talked about this with you, I'm happy they didn't end up just go ahead and shutting down Kyrie and Luka for the rest of the season. I still think that I'm not sold on them. They're right neck and neck with the Thunder. And I just think that they lack that chemistry that you really need to make a real push. And... We can blame Kyrie. We can blame the coaching staff. We can blame Luka, whatever. But I just don't think that they're going to find a way to magically put it all together once the play-in rolls around. My number one takeaway, the Eastern Conference top top of the right, top of the playoff race is going to get really interesting come the playoffs, come playoff time. You have the Milwaukee Bucks, who are the number one team, and have looked to regain their dominant form that they had in the past. Now you have a healthy 
Philadelphia 76ers team that is that'll show that are getting a motivated Joel and B because of all the MVP talks. And you still have James Harden who it hasn't really been bad this all this season, being a number two. And now you kinda get it to where you might not get a Joel uh not a Joel and B, but a James Harden choke job because he's a number two option. You can rely, you can put the bulk of that burden on Joel Embiid, who has shown that he can carry it in the playoffs, and then let James Harden kind of just do his thing and casually drop like a nice 20 and 12 and not have to be the number one guy. And then you have Tyrese Maxey, who can be another productive player. But then you also have the Boston Celtics that have shown that they can also beat both of those guys. Um, both teams, so it's a really, I think the Eastern playoff, once you get to like really the Eastern Conference um, championship, it's going to be really interesting because I think the three teams that are like buying for that like position, I think they all could beat each other and it could be a really interesting playoff series. Uh, my number one is the Lakers are the biggest Jekyll and Hyde of the Western Conference. Excuse me. Uh, when the Lakers look good, they look great. I mean, we've seen some very dominant performances from Anthony Davis as of late. D'Lo has looked like a seamless transition. Then you get LeBron back. Everything seems rosy. Everything seems good. And then you have games like last night where they just could not stop anybody. Like, the Clippers were scoring on them at will, which was a really big loss that they did not need. Ended a four-game winning streak that they had. And now look at them. They're going up against a tough Suns team who looks revitalized with um, KD back in tow. And then they close out the season against the Jazz who are not going to just be pushovers. And so the Lakers, it's weird to know which Lakers team you're going to get as they step on the court. But once we get closer and closer to this play and they got to figure out who they want to be or they're going to mess around and miss the playoffs because one bad game could end their season. I know it's the last thing that LeBron wants. But all right, let's go ahead and kind of talk about the playoffs with our final playoff prediction. So as of now, here are the teams that are locked in. Starting out of the Eastern Conference, like you mentioned, the Milwaukee Bucks have that number one seed. Then you got the Boston Celtics, Philadelphia 76ers, Cleveland Cavaliers, New York Knicks. And uh, right now, the sixth seed is the New York Jets. I mean, New Brooklyn Nets, my bad. Right behind them is the Miami Heat, Atlanta Hawks. Toronto Raptors and Chicago Bulls vying for that play-in spot. So let's just focus on play-in. Uh, who do you think are going to get those final two spots uh, in the Eastern Conference? I think I think the Bulls are going to pull it out. Um, I'm trying to think. It's the Bulls fighting against. the Bull, So it's going to be um, first game, it's going to be the – Miami Heat versus the Miami Hawks, and then Toronto Raptors versus the Bulls. And so whoever wins that second game is going to face the loser between the Heat and Hawks. I think the Heat are going to beat the Hawks, and I think the Bull, and it will be the Bulls versus who in the first round? So they would face the the Hawks if they beat the Raptors. If they beat the Raptors. I think the Bulls are going to lose to the Raptors, so I think – the the Raptors will end up the Heat will beat the Hawks and the Raptors will play the uh the Hawks. And I think the Raptors will beat the Hawks. Okay. Yeah, you and I are in agreement. I also have the Heat and then 
I said that I think the Raptors end up pulling it out too. Unfortunately, as much as I like the Raptors, I don't think they go that far. But I think that they can. I think that they can outlast the Bulls and the Hawks. All right, what about the Western Conference? So as of right now, the matchups are the Lakers would face the Pelicans, and then the Timberwolves would face the Thunder. But friendly reminder: the Mavericks are less than a half game back from the Thunder. So if the Thunder slip up, the Mavericks could come in and take that spot at the 10th seed and end up facing the Timberwolves. I think the Lakers obviously beat the Pelicans. Um, the Pelicans are a good team. I just think it's, and you just talked about how the Lakers are being a Jekyll and Hyde. I think once the playoffs hit, you aren't going to necessarily get that Jekyll and Hyde because I think you have a couple. You have a group of guys that have been in the playoffs. I eat for first and foremost. You have LeBron that will go in playoff Bron mode. Then you have Anthony Davis that I think will get will lock in for the playoffs. You also have D'Angelo Russell who who has had a little playoff experience last year. He will lock in. So I think the Lakers will take care of the Pelicans, and then. I think uh, I think the Timberwolves honestly beat whoever is left out of whether it's the Mavericks or OKC. Just because I think the the Mavericks will be interesting because you will have Luka and Kyrie, and you will ha- essentially have two out of the three best players on the court in their series. Um, but I I just think the way that the Timberwolves like the Timberwolves are more of a team now after making some trades and like getting rid of D-Lo and picking up Mike Conley. I just like the way that they fit better. Um, And I obviously will have the Lakers winning against whoever loses um, against the Timberwolves. So let's see. So I think the Lakers will beat the Pelicans. And so... Between the Timberwolves and I think that the Mavericks are going to overtake the Thunder. So, in a game between the Timberwolves and the Mavs, it's tough. But I think I think I'd side with the Timberwolves, like you said, because I think they have a better overall team dynamic than the Mavericks. But and then between them and the Pelicans, I think the Timberwolves will beat the Pelicans. So yeah, we will be in agreement. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to some big news. Uh, It has officially been announced the Hall of Fame class of 2023, which is going to include Dwayne Wade, Dark Nowitzki, Pau Gasol, Becky Hammond, Tony Parker, and Greg Popovich. Congratulations to all of them. Honestly, none of them really surprised me. How about you? Yeah, none at all. Like, this is probably the first Hall of Fame class where it's to me, it's like, oh, everyone in this class makes complete sense. That Kobe class was good, too, because I think it was what? Yeah. Kobe, KG, Tim Durant. Who was the woman who got inducted? Oh, my gosh. What is Swin K- was it Becky Hammond? No, it wasn't Becky. Becky just got inducted. Was it, um? oh, my gosh, she used to pay for the uh, Indiana Fever. Was it Swin? Was it Swin Cash? I'm going to cheat. I'm going to cheat. Uh, was it? I wasn't Cheryl Swoops. I, I don't think it was Cheryl Swoops because she had already made it. Um, who was in that 20, 2020? Maya Moore. Was it Maya Moore? Mm-mm, mm-mm. It was somebody else. Uh, hold on. 
uh, Basketball Hall of Fame. Because that was, like I said, that was another one that was really, really good. Um, Dang. Of course, when I look it up, it's they just show the men first. I don't care about the men. I already know them. I'm trying to think of the woman. Was it Swin Cash? If my laptop would load, it's going to pop up when I don't care. But that class was really, really good. Kobe. Doo -doo -doo -doo. Yeah, I know Kobe. Kevin Garnett. Blah, 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 blah. Tamika Catchins. Tamika Catchins and then Tim Kim Mulkey had made it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Now that, that was a really great class too. But yeah, this class is amazing as well. I mean, shout out to the, uh, what's it called? Shout out to the Spurs because they really get bragging rights because honestly, it's their world. We just live in it with Tony Parker and Pop going in the same class. So yeah, Aller and Becky Hammond, who was an assistant coach for them. So all credit to that class. I think they're all very deserving. All right, let's talk about somebody who has officially announced their second and final retirement from the league, and that is LaMarcus Aldridge, who officially uh, went on Twitter late last week and said, in the words of TB12, you only get one big emotional retirement. So on that note, I'm thankful for all the memories, family, and friends I made throughout my career. It was one hell of a ride, and I enjoyed every minute. 12. Now, throughout Aldridge's 16-year career, he was seven-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA team, Third, three-time All-NBA third team and NBA All-Rookie team. Do you think he has done enough to make the Hall of Fame? No. Um, and I un and I know that getting a basketball Hall of Fame is a lot easier than the NFL, but I still, I still don't think so because I also know that a lot of the reason why individuals get in the Basketball Hall of Fame is because people um, tie in their collegiate careers. Yeah. So if I look at his whole career from college to NBA, I I can see him getting in, but I don't – he won't be a first ballot. I'll say that. Yeah, I think it's going to – if he gets in, it's going to take a while. But, unfortunately, it would not shock me if L.A. didn't make it. But, all right, let's go ahead and look at some injury news. First, in, uh, out of New York, Julius Randle suffered a sprained left ankle and was expected to be reevaluated in the next week or two. While it seems like the Knicks are still doing okay without him, and he should be back by the time that the postseason starts, do you think it's going to take time for him to kind of get back in the flow of things? Do you think they're going to have him on a bit of – uh, I'm trying to think of the right word. You think they're going to have him on limited minutes, or do you think they're going to have him full throttle because it will be the playoffs? I think he's going to have to. He's going to have to go full throttle. Um, they might, depending on when he comes back. Um, if he had, if they have, let's say, I don't know the new schedule, but say they have three games, and he comes back, you know, right at the beginning of those three games, they might put him on a minutes restriction in the first game. But them next two, he going for a throttle. Because you're going to want to get him as ready for the playoffs as you possibly can because we both know that Julius Randle is a big key piece for the Knicks. Um, so, yeah, I would say I think they'll have him going for a throttle. 
Yeah, I agree, especially because you're going up against a team like the Cavaliers who are so good in the post. you got to have arguably your best post player ready to go. So, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I think they'll probably kind of ease them in a little bit, but as the series progresses and it feels like they're in trouble, I think that's when they're going to kind of take, uh, take the reins off and let him do what he does. But, all right, really big news out of the NBA. After seven years since the last uh, collective bargaining agreement, the NBA and the NBA PA have gotten together uh, to come up with a new one, and here are some of the biggest talking points. First off, marijuana will be removed from the NBA's anti-drug testing program. Uh, so players will no longer be prohibited from using it. Uh, it was removed from the anti-drug testing program uh, which had been in progress since the 2019 season. And agree, in addition to that, it has also been announced that an in-season tournament has been agreed upon, and here are some of the biggest high points. Pool play games baked into regular season will start in November. Eight teams advance in a single elimination tournament in December. The final four will be held at a neutral site with Las, Las Vegas prominent in the discussion. Each in-season tournament game would count towards regular season standings. Final two finalists would ultimately play eight 83 regular season games and winning players and coaches will earn additional prize money. Before we move on, what are your thoughts on the end season tournament? It'd been rumors and speculation about it coming for a few years now. How do you think it's going to turn out? Because I'm sorry, I still think it's stupid. Uh, I'm going to hold my, my true thoughts on it until it actually takes place. And the reason being is because we thought that initially we thought the playing was going to be stupid. And now it's turned out to be one of the better things that's in the NBA because it makes, it gives us this end of the season like drama. Like we have the Pelicans, the Lakers, OKC, and Dallas, like all fighting for this last playoff spot where. Normally, under the normal circumstances, teams would just be like, "Oh, we're not gonna make it, so we're just gonna try to tank for the for a lottery pick." And that was making it interesting. So I'm gonna kind of hold my real thoughts until I see it, at least for the first year, maybe two years. I don't get it mainly because it's players are already complaining about it's too many games in a season, and now you're adding more games to the season. And this is still happening before All-Star break. So from what I read, it doesn't seem like this is altering All-Star break. So you're having to play in this tournament that's, yes, the games go towards standing, but at the end of the day, players are just going to get more money. These are millionaires. How much more money are they really going to get? And then, so you're adding more games to the schedule, and it doesn't really seem like it has a really big benefit. And, like, then it begs the question of what teams are actually going to participate. And if play, and then another thing is, what if teams don't even put their star players in? What if they want to rest their players? This Because, honestly, this seemed like the perfect time to kind of rest their guys and give them the opportunity to relax. So why? I don't know. I just I don't think it makes much sense. Mainly because, like I said, the complaints have already been that the season is too long. Players are getting tired as the buy, as the year rolls on. Why would you add in additional games that don't seem to have too much of a benefit? You know? But we, we'll see how it turns out. I could absolutely been wrong, be wrong. It's happened before. But at this very moment, I don't, I don't really like it. Uh, here's an, another couple of points. Uh, 
It's the NBA in an attempt to curb load management and lost games among star players. The NBA is tying eligibility for postseason awards such as all NBA teams and MVP to a mandatory 65 games played. Uh, the 65 game minimum does come with conditions that have not been announced yet. And in a more important news, especially for teams looking to re-sign players, um, the NBA and NBA PA have agreed to eliminate restrictions limiting a team to two designated Supermax players. For example, this will be a big impact for a team like the Cavaliers who have Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland on Supermax deals with Evan Mobley approaching a rookie extension. While super teams have been in existence, they're not going anywhere. Do you think that because teams aren't limited to just two Supermax deals, this will get rid of the parity of the NBA? Because now superstar players really can team up on specific teams and make as much money as they want. I don't know, because I think they've also implemented other rules in this new CBA that kind of hinders like the super the super team aspect. Like I know one of them because it was I think Draymond was pissed off about it. I he think was you talking about the luxury tax one. Yeah. So I think, like, you do have, like, non-super, like, you do have teams where you can have more than, like, three Supermax deals, but you also have, like, a luxury tax rule in place. So it's kind of like this whole aspect of, like, okay, we're going to have to find, like, a uh, a line to toe to get these Supermax, to get the best players on the team, but also maybe not get, over the luxury tax because I know part of the luxury tax thing is I think you're getting like draft picks and stuff taken away so yeah I it's a it's gonna like it's hard when you just hear it you're gonna have I think it's gonna have to take a couple of years for it to actually happen to be able to fully understand like what is it gonna look like yeah okay because I'm looking at it now so um see okay so here's another element uh the nba is curbing the ability of the highest spending teams such as the warriors and clippers to continue running running up salary and luxury tax spending while still maintaining mechanisms to add talent to the roster the league is implementing a second salary cap apron 17.5 mil over the tax line and those teams will lose several key team building mechanisms including the taxpayer uh mid-level exception utilizing cash and trades moving first round picks and drafts that are seven years away signing free agent players in the buyout market and taking on more money than is being sent on trades sources say so essentially yeah just trying to keep them from getting from still adding talent even though they spent well over the cap um but all right let's go ahead and move on to our game of believable or buffoonery Bronny James is nearing the end of his high school career, and it seems like everybody has an opinion on where he should go and what he should do next. Uh, LeVar Ball got in on the conversation and said, if you want to play basketball and you're really that dude, why am I sitting in class trying to pass a chemistry test? Essentially, he's saying that the best course of action for Bronny is to spend a season abroad before making the jump to the NBA. So, believable or buffoonery, Bronny should play overseas rather than playing college ball. No, if he's not gonna play in it, if he's not gonna play, um, like if if Bronny doesn't play college ball, don't even go overseas. Just go to the um, G League and Nike. Yeah. 
yeah, we're in agreement. I, I don't think it really makes any sense to do that either. Like, because let's be honest, you only going to be in class for a year. So it's not like you one year won't kill you, especially because mainly you go in there to hoop anyway. And, you know, the exceptions that programs make for their athletes, particularly in the more popular sports like football and basketball. So, yeah, no, I it don't make no sense to me. Why do all that when you can just do the same thing here and make more money? Because, you know, the NIL deal is going to go crazy. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, if you don't want to go to college, you can go to the G League at 19. You still gonna, you still can make a decent amount of money. But you also would get the, the benefit of being trained by guys that are getting people, essentially getting people ready for the NBA draft. Like, you, you have Scoot Henderson, who's probably going to be at minimum on top three pick. He's on the 19. Um... Who was it? Somebody that played on the A-19 the year before. Like, they had a couple guys that played on the A-19 that went and got drafted in the NBA. Like, I think the whole playing overseas thing, me personally, hearing it come from LeVar, that's his way of trying to make his decision to let LaMelo play overseas, trying to validate it and right. prove that it was a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. And not to say it was a bad idea, but it's like I feel like now the need to go overseas is lessened. You don't have to do that anymore with NIL. And let's be honest, even if Bronny was not good, he was still going to get crazy offers, and he's still going to get big money in the NIL. So ain't no, I wouldn't go overseas. What's, why would I do that? There's no point anymore. Um, but, all right, let's go ahead and talk about teams in the league today, more specifically the Golden State Warriors, who another kind of Jekyll and Hyde situation, especially with regards to playing at home compared to playing on the road. However, Steph Curry still remains positive about what they can do come playoff time. He said, Things have been in, this has been an interesting year, some highs, a lot of lows. We obviously have maintained confidence and faith that we can peak at the right time and that if we get into the playoff series with whoever, that we're tough to beat. So, believable or the Warriors are the scariest team in the Western Conference come playoff time. I would say believable. Yeah, I think it's believable. Um, I would say them, in my opinion, them, and then maybe the Lakers just because of the pedigree of the players that are on those teams. Yeah, and then they're getting Andrew Wiggins back, which is going to be a great addition. By the way, for all the people who came up with those random rumors about why he wasn't playing, y'all are some sick people. Um, so please take care of y'all mental health. But yeah, it's going to be great getting him back on the court. And I think that he provides them a really big boost. God bless. Um, all right, let's go ahead and move on to another player who you and the Warriors are quite familiar with. And that is James Wiseman. Um, since being traded to the Detroit Pistons, he's been balling. And in a recent interview, he said, this is apparently like my rookie year, I can say, because just the amount of games I've played. Seriously, so I just got to take it one day at a time. I can't be so hard on myself about anything about trying to be good right now, all the instant gratification stuff. Sometimes it comes into my mind, but I got to just look at it for what it is and be real with myself. It's going to take time. It's not going to be now. It's within time. It just takes time within the craft. I just got to keep working. That's it. Through his first 20 games with the Pistons, he has been productive, averaging 13.1 points per game, 8.5 boards, 0.9 blocks, and shooting a 54.3% of field goal percentage. So, believable or buffoonery, we are on the verge of a major breakout from James Wiseman. 
I'm going to say believable simply because James Wiseman is actually getting an opportunity to develop. When he was in Golden State, he couldn't really develop because he couldn't really get minutes because yeah. Golden State is a team that for his whole tenure that he was there, they were in the hunt for a championship. And you don't, when you're in the hunt for a championship, you don't have time to let rookies make mistakes and to let rookies develop. Um, and when you have the opportunity with the Pistons, which is going to get interesting because you also have another young rookie big man in Jalen Duran that's been really productive. But you're able to let him get on the court. You're able to let him make mistakes. You're able to let him learn. And you're also able to just let him um, develop by playing, by throwing him into the fire. And that's just something that he wasn't afforded in, in Golden State. So I wouldn't be surprised if we looked up and, like, maybe next season you see Jalen, uh, not Jalen Durham, but James Wiseman being, like, a 17-8 and eight or 17-9 and nine, um, point, points per game and rebounds per game type of player. Yeah, I'm also going to say believable on that. And another thing that really hurt James Wiseman was injuries. Like, there'd be times when he looked really good or showed some flashes, and then injuries would come, knock him off the court. And that's, like you mentioned, it's already hard enough getting minutes on a team like Golden State. And so being with a team like the Pistons that are yearning for young talent and people wanting to come there and make a difference, this is his prime opportunity to do so. So I am agreement. All right, so last but certainly not least, you and I talked about Jalen Brown and the possibility of him leaving Boston last week. Well, it seems like the conversations and ramblings of that have only gotten stronger. Uh, recently, uh, Houston Rockets insider John Granado had an interview with ESPN 97.5's radio station and had this to say. Yesterday, I got some insight into the Rockets organization bringing in veterans. They're going to do that. I'm going to tell you this. You hear a lot of noise about Jalen Brown. He wants out of Boston. It's the same as Harden. Daryl Murley thought Harden was a star level ability, which he did. There are guys in this rotation right now that are going to be bench players. They're not satisfied. I don't think Tillman is going to be afraid of Ime Uduka. So, believable or buffoonery, Jalen Brown would become a superstar if traded to Houston. I'm going to say he's going to put up superstar numbers, but he won't become a superstar simply because they won't be able to win. I would agree with that. And now I'm interested because where do you put where do you put Jalen Brown? You gonna keep him at two? Because if you keep him at two, then where's Jalen Green gonna go? Yeah, I mean, unless you're willing to, it's it's going to be hard because I think if the Rockets are going to get Jalen Brown, I'm not. I think they're going to have to trade for him because I think he's still on the contract. Yeah, he with got the another year. He got another year. So you're going to have to trade for him. Um, so who are you going to trade? Like, are you going to trade Jalen Green? Or are you going to trade Kevin Porter Jr.? Because you're going to have to give up something that's comparable, especially when you're dealing with a team like Boston. They aren't just going to give up Jalen Brown for nothing. So that's... That's going to be the question, I think. But I do think, like, if he were to go, he'll put up superstar-level numbers, but he won't be considered a superstar because he's not winning and his team isn't making the playoffs. So it kind of be like a Damian Lillard-type deal? I wouldn't say Damian Lillard because Dame has made the playoffs. Like, Dame has made the worst. I mean, okay, Dame in the last few years, let me say that. 
I would say I'll say this. I'll say it'll be more like Devin Booker before Chris Paul got there. Okay, that's fair. That's a good call. But all right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please sure to check out the export.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The Export. Ethan, anything you want to say before we get out of here? Uh, I'm really surprised that they let Roman win against Cody. Like, I was. I th- I thought it was just a foreground that the whole bloodline was just going to be going to get not destroyed, but like they were going to lose at Mania. I am. Okay, so I don't know if you listen to my predictions, but how I thought it was going to play out was I thought Cody was going to win, but he wasn't going to win clean. I thought that because I figured the Usos were going to lose. And so I thought that Roman was going to, like, get into the Usos behind. He was going to piss off Jay, and Jay was going to end up costing him his title. But am I upset that Roman lost? Absolutely not. I'm very happy about it. And, of course, a whole bunch of other people are. And apparently people are sending death threats to the bloodline and, like, Triple H. Like, chill out. That's Y'all are doing way too much. But how, it, It's insane. But how I look at it is, yes, you're upset he didn't win now. But imagine how much sweeter it's going to be because he's tasted defeat. Because I want to say WrestleMania was the first match that Cody's lost since being in WWE. And you think that they were going to have Cody, who's not, he was homegrown, but then went to AEW to become a star. You think you're going to have him come in and beat the guy that has been the face of WWE for the past three years. They wanted him to be the face of WWE for the past decade, but the whole big dog thing wasn't working. You thought it was going to be that easy. And so looking back, it's like, I'm not totally surprised. I'm just interested to see what comes next. Because I don't know if you watched Raw, but Cody got attacked by Brock Lesnar. I didn't watch it, but I saw it on Instagram. So, So, yeah, so I'm interested to see how that plays out. And I don't hate that because now it gives – Roman opportunities to finish up storylines within the bloodline because obviously that's not done yet. And then Cody is also in a big feud where, A, he gets to remain a heel. I mean, remain a face. He's also going to be going up against a really big name in Brock Lesnar and get a big win. And so, people, chill out. Just let things happen. Now, don't get me wrong. Raw wasn't that good, and I need Vince McMahon to go sit his behind down somewhere, let Triple H run the show. But... All in all, I'm excited to see what WWE is doing. So my next question is, do you think Cody is going to be the one that takes the titles from Roman in the long run? I think he's going to take a title for Roman. I think they're going to end up splitting the belts. I don't know how they're going to do it, but I think by when it's all said and done, that's going to end up being the course of action. And I think he is going to end up being, let's say, WWE champion on Raw. Gotcha. But, yeah, um, I really don't have much. Uh, expect a lot of draft content to come out the next three weeks because we are quite literally uh, three weeks away from the NFL draft or at least the day one of the NFL draft, which is such an exciting time. So be on the lookout for that. Um, and, yeah, thank you all so much for listening, and we will see you all next time.